This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Keith Ferrazzi is a New York Times bestselling author and entrepreneur. His research and consulting firm, Ferrazzi Greenlight, helps companies adjust their behavior to reach strategic goals and to do so in a humane, smart way. He's the author of several books, including the fantastic, you really can't put it down, Never Eat Alone, great title, which discusses the power of interpersonal relationships to stimulate personal and professional growth, and it provides practical tips for realizing this power in your real world. Greenlight Giving, his foundation, focuses on community service and building relationships by teaching those in need. We're going to be talking about that and more. So now, get set to listen and learn from one of the true masters of network building and relationship growth, leadership growth. It's Keith Ferrazzi. Keith, welcome to our show, and thank you so much for joining me. Stu, thanks so much. This is exciting. It's it's great to have you here. I've long been an admirer of your work. Uh, Never Eat Alone really changed uh, the way that I think uh, about um, human relationships in my life, and I appreciate your writing it. And uh, and now, since then, you've you've done so much work to help other people learn about how to uh, create value in their, in their lives and in their worlds by providing value to others, uh, a, a kind of paradoxical idea. Give our, our listeners just a quick synopsis of just kind of how you got into this um, way of thinking and teaching and, and coaching. Well, it really emerged from our primary practice. So we run a consultancy that coaches very large organizations in behavior change, or what some people might call culture transformation, um, heavily focused on sales organizations originally. And so those sales organizations, I learned a very long time ago um, that uh, uh, it is so important when you're trying to build relationships with individuals to be of service to them. Mm -hmm. Um, I joke that the first rule of relationships is that nobody has time for one with you. (laughs) <laughs> particularly in this day and age. Well, so and as a result, you better make sure that you're reaching out with enormous generosity. Hmm. So we've been teaching that for a long time. And then we started coaching the managers and leaders of these large organizations, independent of the sales function. And what I started realizing is the high predictive element of great leadership, where individuals would be willing to change, was whether or not the leaders were of service to their people. Mm-hmm. 
In other words, they set the you know, tone. in the olden days, they used to call it servant leadership, which had a really strong Christian connotation. Mm-hmm. But today, just the recogni- recognition that statistically speaking, one needs to be of service to the individuals one wants to change. And if you want your people to change, make sure that they recognize you're in service of them. Now, all of that along the way, I've always been a sort of a glutton for my own personal development, my own personal growth. And I started looking at how I could change my own behavior. And I knew that generosity and service was an element, a critical element, of my success and my organization's success, both in what we brought to large organizations. And I started experimenting with things um, in social contexts. And how you could mean I and my family... non-work contexts. Yeah, non-work contexts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How can my and my family learn generosity in, in the nature of the work that we did on the weekends uh, mm-hmm. with nonprofits? And, and how do we learn deeply, and how do we begin to really be touched and moved as humans through our service? Now, that's a very long answer to your question, and, I'm, and you could pick at any piece of this. You could talk about generosity in the marketplace. You could talk about generosity inside of organizations. Or we could talk about service in the community and its impact to us as humans and professionals. I'm, I'm rarely, raring and ready to deal with any of the above. Well, th- thanks for opening that up. Uh, you know, it's really that last piece that is most exciting and intriguing to me because what, what I do with my own work and what we try to do on the show a lot is to connect the different parts of life in meaningful and mutually enriching ways and to help uh, listeners understand the many ways in which the, the different parts of their lives can be not necessarily traded off one for the other, but rather to be mutually enriching. And it seems to me that you've uh, now been engaged in a huge way in, in really um, building on that concept. So say more about what you have been discovering about how service well, uh, in the world. Well, I tell you a story maybe that folks will understand. Yeah. So have you ever heard of the Renaissance weekend, that wonderful long weekend around uh, New Year's that the uh, the Lauder family did and have been doing for a number of years, where they pulled together leaders in politics and government, mm-hmm. and, uh, business, etc. I've been going to that for years, and and at that event we we really talk a lot about with our families. By the way, we talk a lot about how society needs to change and how we'd like to change society. And um, well, you know, my my fiance at the time uh, leaned over one time and said, you know what? We've been coming to this for years, talking about how we're going to change the world. Why don't next year, why don't we go try to do that? And we recognized that we were probably not spending as much time being of real service to people. I'm on plenty of boards of directors, etc. And, and I, we felt like there was an opportunity to sort of open up our souls by taking our family into being of service at the grassroots of helping people be better. Hmm. And um, so we, we volunteered for Meals on Wheels, and it was quite phenomenal. Um, you know, we started in the kitchens and started, you know, organizing the meals, and then we graduated into actually delivering the, um, uh, the meals. And in the process of that, it was quite phenomenal when you would show up, and there was a little old lady who went and got a flower and put it into a little vase, and she did her makeup, and she's bedridden, right? And so she's really not capable of moving her. She's not very ambulatory. Mm -hmm. And there she was, and it was because that was the only person she was going to meet today. Mm. And it it had such an impact on my soul. Mm. The loneliness. My relationship with my family started to change. 
as we experienced that together. So there was something that, that this encounter with this lonely woman who you were bringing some, some light to that changed your relationship with your family? It changed my relationship with my family, certainly from a perspective of blessing and gratitude of what mm-hmm. we had, uh, putting into perspective of some of the challenges that we thought were challenges. But it, in a sense, it melted our hearts and opened ourselves to a level of empathy to each other. And I thought, well, this is powerful. I'm going to bring my team on this exercise. So I started inviting members of my team at Ferrazzi Greenlight um, to this. And then uh, I started looking for other places that we could do this, and I started looking at other causes. I have been a major proponent for some time now around the reformation of foster care. Foster care has become one of the the major areas of our foundation Hmm. called green light giving. Eighty percent of the U.S. prison population, uh, sink this in for a second, eighty percent of the U.S. prison population came from foster care. Wow. And so if we I can fix the foster care so, system, we can do a lot to reduce the prison population. And homelessness and mm-hmm. prostitution. What happens is these kids have been abused relationally at mm-hmm. a very young age, mm-hmm. um, disconnecting them from their capacity to connect with others. And then over time they were treated in the system transactionally, and they never learned how to trust. And you can't get a job. You can't do anything if you can't trust. And so when they exit the foster care system at 18 with a bag of goods that they own, and that's it, and they're out in the street, they find intimacy and prostitution. They find connectedness and family and gangs, and and then then the story is written. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I started spending time volunteering to work with foster children who were in foster homes. And I started recruiting not only my own employees, but I started recruiting clients to do the same work. Mm-hmm. And I started coaching our clients and our employees on how to more effectively change the nature of these kids and coach the nature of these kids to help them learn how to trust more. And that curriculum that we created, interestingly enough, was nothing more than a derivation of the curriculum that we were teaching salespeople at organizations really? like... Intel and Cisco and how was it? How was it based like on? Uh, if I can just jump in here for a sec, how how did you take what you were learning about sales training and apply it in this in this setting? Well, our research institute has recognized for a number of years that there are four core characteristics of all great relationships: um, intimacy, generosity, candor, and accountability. And that's what we have always coached to. The high performing relationships have a great deal of candor, you know, not conflict avoidance, in other words, candor, direct talk, etc., and accountability, where people can hold each other accountable and not let each other fail. Mm -hmm. But in order to have that, you've got to have empathy, and empathy is created through real care and concern. We call that intimacy. And you gain trust to an individual by leading with generosity. So generosity gives you the permission to build a little bit of intimacy, and both of those give you permission for high performance of candor and accountability. Does that make sense? Yeah, leading with generosity. So bring that down to the level of like everyday relationships, if you could just uh, give a couple of examples of what does that then translate to every day in the, in the workplace and, and beyond? Well, and I, and I can go back and forth between the workplace and in our home. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you would like to um, have a better personal relationship with your spouse 
or a better personal relationship with an employee or a better personal relationship with your boss, you lead with generosity. Mm-hmm. You start with saying, how can I be of service? Now at home, that could be bringing a flower, that could be putting the, uh, the trash out, that could be, um, you know, honey, how has your day been? That kind of generosity, right, of spirit and, and of practice. With that kind of generosity, people let their guards down a little bit and say, well, you know, I'll give this person a shot to see who they really are to me. And then by following those, that act of generosity up with letting your own guard down and, and, and deeply connecting with an individual around mutual vulnerability, mutual concerns, etc., that develops, that sense of, of intimacy gets developed, which accelerates the trust. And then, of course, people will tell you more about what they need, and then as a result, you serve them more, and the more you serve them, uh, the more they'll tell you, and the more you can connect with them intimately. In the workplace, it's the same thing. You know, I led with my CEO years ago when I was just a kid in, uh, at Deloitte & Touche. I led with my CEO by understanding his legacy, hmm. and then once I did that, I busted my butt to find articles and things that I felt he could benefit from around building the brand of Deloitte, which was what he wanted his legacy to be. So you really and connected so, with what was important to him. Exactly. Right? And, and, and built your... Uh, and, and of course, you're, you're doing this now in a, in, a, in a more intensive and immersive way in your work, as you were telling us about, with... Um, foster kids. Foster kids. So uh, tell us more about how the work with foster kids has has evolved and what it's meant for your business life as well as your family life? Well, there's two principles of green light giving, which is our foundation. One is what we call serve and grow, and the other one we call teach and grow. In serve and grow, it, it basically operates under the, under the principle that the more you are in service of, of individuals who are in need, um, the more your heart opens and the more your capacity to connect with others independent of the, of the environment. So in other words... When I go and I serve in Meals on Wheels, and that woman is there and touches my heart, I turn and I see my spouse, and I'm more open and vulnerable, and I connect with my spouse more. Mm-hmm. If, that, if, I, if I'm doing that with my employees, we collectively um, open our hearts and share that experience, and we connect more with each other. It's really, it really taps into the essence of brain science where people who are, are, are feeling that shared, empathetic, vulnerable experience, in this case, manufactured by being in front of and being in service of somebody who is deeply in need and seeing that rewarded to that individual, that connectedness increases. So if you mm-hmm. do it as a team, if you do it as a family, and if you do it with your clients even, mm-hmm. right? you're talking about that bridge between personal and professional, being in the act of service helps us all grow together. And the basis of all relationships is intimacy. What you have to recognize is that intimacy, one of the great predictors of intimacy is your willingness to be vulnerable with another person. Mm-hmm. Now, you so how does leading with generosity help you to uh, express that kind of vulnerability that leads to intimacy and trust? In such a safe way. I mean, I can walk in, I could start talking to you about how challenged I've had with my 20-year-old son. And I can, I can speak to you about the frustrations and the fears and the anxieties I've had about my relationship with my 20-year-old son, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that's vulnerability, and it actually would connect us. If I told you the stories that I've endured and that 
we've endured as a family. It mm-hmm. would connect us. Well, I'd start to talk to you about my 20-year-old daughter and my son, <laughs> right? Well, we would have a shared experience. Them, that's for sure. <laughs> well, we, we would have a shared experience of, of, you know, the trials of living and being a parent and Well, and what's interesting about that, Stu, is that you don't need to have a shared passion or a shared experience. You just have to share your passion or share your experience. Mm-hmm. I'll say that again. Even if you didn't have a 20-year-old daughter, that you were challenged and struggling with. The, the act of sharing the hum- humanity together would connect us, mm-hmm. right? Now, I teach that in sales. I actually teach people to authentically open themselves up in a conversation in order to build trust, right? Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not fake if it's real. Right? <laughs> so just because it's purposeful doesn't mean it's fake. So right, right. Somebody, I'm sure yourself, some people are thinking... Yourself. Well, you know, there might be some people thinking, well, I know people who do that and they're just trying to scam me or con me to get me to trust them. And, and that's what they're doing, by the way. It, it becomes fake when it's fake. Mm. And you can smell it on people's suits a mile away. Mm. It, it is that it level of inauthenticity. But if your heart and soul is authentic and intentional, it will be received that way, I, I promise you. I think the intention is really what's key, right? If, if, you're, if, if I'm trying to open you up by talking to you about something that is real and uh, painful for me for the purpose of getting you to you know, buy my new product as opposed to just getting to know me, then uh, that's, that's probably what's going yeah, to be exactly. felt on the other side. Your to be the opening of trust. Right. But what I'm saying is that if you and that individual together go in and be of service to somebody in some destitute need, Yeah, the two of you will connect around that. Now, even if you don't do it together, but you do it yourself, you now, your heart and your brain science has been programmed to a way that you have the capacity, with or without even sharing the story with somebody, you have the capacity to accelerate intimacy. Look, the brain needs to work like an exercise. It's like a muscle that needs to exercise. And the more exercise you get being empathetic, vulnerable, and connected to humanity, the more it will shine forth in you in your leadership and your sales and your friendships and your, and your spousal relationships. Mm-hmm. So go out and be of service to people in need. Now, even better if you do it with the people that you care about. So we've now created... Collectively serving uh, others who are in need, because that bonds you in a way that, that it, you, is stronger than you're just up, doing... And opens up your heart. And opens up your heart, yes. Um, so we now take a group of executives with me and my family uh, once a year down to Guatemala, and we serve in orphanages together. Mm-hmm. It's been the best experience I have. All my kids are foster kids first and, and then adoptive children. Oh, wow. Um, and so these kids who have experienced crappy, crappy environments growing up think that their life sucks. Well, when I take them down to Guatemala and my boys get to see little kids running around who barely eat once a day on dirt floors, and they find joy, that's, that's a connected environment for all of us to be in. Now I take my clients with me um, and their kids, and this becomes an, an experience that, that bridges the personal professional boundaries in such mm-hmm. powerful and wonderful ways. Mm-hmm. What, I mean, what, what have been the primary... And clients and friends and all together. So tell us, what have been some of the uh, major outcomes of, of that kind of intervention? Well, again, you can go to see a lot of this stuff, even in video, at Greenlight Giving. And Greenlight Giving. And I'll work in Guatemala. Um, <clears throat> but some of the outcomes, I mean, I, I've, I've sat and I've watched a, a young 16-year-old girl 
who thought that her biggest problem was whether or not she got the uh, the right car for her birthday. Um, <laughs> in tears and, and, and in humility, talking about how she needed to think differently, and she's speaking to the camera right after this experience, right? Mm-hmm. Or you take even so. This was kids. this was a, a daughter of a, of one of your clients, exactly. Daughter of one of our clients, yeah. Wow. Um, or you take even smaller kids who end up because they go back every year, growing up with these little kids down in Guatemala and supporting them. I mean, my kid you know, grew up in such scarcity and victimization that he, you know, he, he did anything he could do, stole, lie, etc., to make sure he got his share. But then after the second year down, he wanted to start to take some of his money and make sure that throughout the year he supported some of these other kids, shifting his entire soul, shifting his entire soul through that experience of service. And once again, we teach large corporations that through service to customers and through service to each other in your organization, you build stronger customer and employee loyalty. What better way to teach service than to open people's hearts and soul up to the service of those who are in destitute need? So, it is probably one of the greatest accelerants of connectedness among individuals, and more importantly, it releases the brain to begin to exercise that muscle of empathy and mm. care and intimacy you and d- vulnerability that we, that we guard so preciously because we're fearful that we'll be judged and that it's inappropriate. So that it's through the act of service externally, mm-hmm. together even better, that we can actually grow in our relational and collaborative capabilities in ways that we couldn't even imagine. What does this mean for the listeners out there in terms of what they can do in their work environments and at home uh, to, to change their relationships through service? Do you have s- suggestions for people who would like to get moving on, on this idea? Yeah, I've, got some, I've got some light ones and some more intensive ones. All right. I mean, a light one is what I mentioned earlier. I mean, you and your peers, go deliver meals on wheels. I mean, and I don't mean to, to ferret out that particular, or another one is, Early on, even before we did Meals on Wheels, my company would find out where uh, a local soup kitchen or a local uh, meal stand would serve meals on a weekly basis. And we'd take our employees and we'd invest a bunch of money, we'd collect a bunch of clothes and stuff, and we'd stand there and we'd serve people online. Or, listen, go to McDonald's, buy a bunch of McDonald's gift certificates, and with your employees, walk around an area of town and hand out gift certificates. And But here's the thing. As you hand them out to somebody, see if your employees are able to ask people what their story is. Not just hand it out and walk away, but hand it out and say, hi, you know, I, I just wanted this, you to have this, and I, I hope that this is of, of a little bit of help. Would you mind if I asked, how'd you get here? And to have them do it in small groups of two or three together, mm-hmm. and then have them come back and talk to each other about that experience. Right? Mm-hmm. Those are some, I would call, light ways that you could easily manufacture in a second. Slightly heavier ways. We've been um, working with General Motors for quite some time, and I've been blessed to be a part of the, the turnaround there coming out of bankruptcy for a number of years, and it's been an extraordinary story as they shift their culture internally. And one of the things that we did is we took exactly the kind of things that we were coaching their field reps. So they have field reps that call on dealerships that build better relationships with dealerships Mm -hmm. and build better networks with dealerships and serve serve the dealerships. And that has not been always the best 
you know, environment and the best set of relationships. They need to, we all need to work on our district manager to franchise uh, relationships. We took that same intellectual property and we had the individuals who we were teaching turn around and package that training to, to high school kids in bad neighborhoods. Ah, so it's and through the teaching. The school, it, and the district managers at General Motors would teach yeah. how to develop relationships. Well, that's how you learn something, right? By trying to teach it. We call that teach and grow, right? So there's mm-hmm. serve and grow and teach and grow. Mm-hmm. Teach and grow is exactly what we were teaching. The same people that we were teaching in the, quote, sales relationships, we taught them how to teach high school kids to build those kind of relationships, to find internships, get jobs, uh, that sort of thing. And how did that affect their performance as, uh, as district uh, you know, liaisons with their, well, uh, their, we their dealers? We haven't done statistical analysis yet, but I can tell you that the anecdotal stories are that the people who spent the time teaching kids in need actually more deeply applied the intellectual property on the job. When you say they more deeply applied the intellectual property on the job, can you say more about Meaning what you mean by that? their scores with dealerships went up uh-huh. because they were able to, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting for myself. I stand on stage all the time. I do a lot of public speaking. And I, and I speak about how to develop better relationships, how to be a better leader through service. It is very difficult for me to come into my office and not then behave that way if almost every day I'm standing on stage teaching other people. Not just because of hypocrisy, because of repetition. And so, the ability to take I, I understand very well, having uh, been in a similar kind of role for most of my adult life. I get it. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to show up and not put it into practice, or at least right. not have it in the forefront of your your thinking. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing with these folks. They we would teach it to them. They would get it intellectually, but when they turned around and had to teach somebody else and make an argument as to why it was important, mm-hmm. it certainly helped cement and sink the hook of the. Of the learnings. Well, you develop a point of view that is your own, that you express in words that are meaningful to you and to the people exactly. you're trying to connect with. And so, yeah, you, you really, it sinks in in a way that uh, just being told obviously doesn't. What's the most important thing that you want our listeners to understand about what it is that you've learned and what it is that you are focusing on next? Yes. So what I would say is uh, the most important thing is that to learn and grow, one has to experience to learn and grow, one has to experience. As a result, we, we've never been a training company. We've always been a coaching and experience company. We make people go through a set of experiences in order to shift their behavior. That's mm-hmm. the way we've always worked our work. And so if you would like to change and you would like to become a more intimately connected individual, um, my recommendation is to go out and serve and, and serve the, mo- the most destitute individuals. Serve the individuals that will break your heart open and allow, and allow your, your sense of, of purpose and generosity uh, to just pour out. And the more you can be of service, the more you will show up as the kind of per- person that people will want to connect with. Let me just your relationships, ask. your success as a leader, your success in the market, contingent upon empathy and connectedness, go serve and I promise you, you'll be more successful. People are afraid, though, right? Not only to be, um, you know, vulnerable in that way, but uh, to, you know, to go to places that are uh, frightening because of, you know, their violence or their terror or hunger. How how do you help people overcome those kinds of inhibitions or fears in getting started? Well, we we sherpa the experiences for uh-huh. our friends and our clients, etc. But look, you're totally safe at Meals on Wheels. You know, mm-hmm. go find something that's innocuous that ends up 
being addictive. You will find yourself addicted to stretching yourself in service once you start. Because it feels um, good. And that's what I would say. It feels good. It feels good. wonderful, and you'll be better for it. Keith, thank you so much for joining me this day. It's been wonderful speaking with you and hearing about your experiences. Uh, for more information about Keith's work, please check out his blog, which is Keith Ferrazzi. That's K-E-I-T-H-F-E-R-R-A-Z-Z-I.com. It's wonderful. I read it. Keith, thanks so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the amazing Keith Ferrazzi and that you gained some new insights about relationships, service to others, and what this means for your own growth. So here's a challenge for you, an invitation to examine your own relationships and explore how you are serving the people closest to you, as well as strangers in your midst. Try for the next day or so, maybe even just for the next hour, to look for, to be mindful of opportunities to serve the people around you, whether it's a family member, a friend, a colleague, or a total stranger. Try to take advantage of but one of those opportunities. Just consciously look for and see what you can do to try to take advantage of one of those opportunities that occurs to you and then see what happens. What do you discover? Do you indeed see some growth in you? What does that look like? What does that feel like? I'd love to hear from you. So you can write to me Friedman at wharton.upenn.edu or at Stu Friedman on Twitter. And if you have ideas for other people you'd like to hear me speak with on this show, again, write to me, Friedman at wharton.upenn.edu. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by commenting there or tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.